Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to episode 176 of the Square Ball Podcast. With Levi Solicitors, 10% off your legal fees when you mention the Square Ball. 20% off at the moment for key workers as well. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan. With me, Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. If you're still looking for things to do to pass the time during the lockdown, that free colouring book is available for download in our online shop, something to keep those idle hands busy. Issue 7, current issue of our magazine, is on sale now via the website as well, working out to do uh, what to do with issue 8, news on that to follow. But you can get all of them for the second half of the season with a half-season subscription if you want something to read. And if you want some comfy leisure wear or something to drink your drinks from, we've got links to the merchandise and the mug store on the website, thesquareball.net. Well, a couple of weeks into lockdown now, and we've getting little bits of news trickling through that FIFA have said they're going to extend the 2019-20 season indefinitely. Um, and as a part of that, the summer transfer window and contract end dates will shift accordingly. So at least we're starting to square off a few of these circles then, boys. We get to keep Jackie Harrison, is what I think it means. And, and Gitano Berardi, neither of them can, can leave ever. I think that's what it translates to, isn't it? They've, they've extended this season indefinitely, meaning it, this season is going to last forever just so that Berardi can never leave Leeds. It does seem fairly sensible from FIFA, does this? It's, I'm not used to them being uh, the voice of reason on, on these things. I thought they'd have some ridiculous plan for it, but but just waiting a bit seems like, seems like the best course of action for everybody. There has been an outbreak of common sense, hasn't there, with this whole coronavirus thing, which is a little bit worrying. You do wonder if they're going to just decide to not play the World Cup in Qatar at some point, given in the in the midst of all this being sensible. I won't necessarily go that far. Uh, we'll get on to more football matters in just a bit. Just talking about what we've been doing to pass the time. Hope you enjoyed the Football Manager 0708 24-hour challenge over the weekend, if you tuned into part of that. Saw us messing about and trying to right the wrongs of uh, the Ken Bates 2007 season, the minus 15. Uh, that was good fun, wasn't it, boys? It was very good, actually. I... Uh... Admittedly, I have spent an awful lot of time, I would, I would call it babysitting, but you're babysitting your own children. I'm not sure if they are. You, that's just looking after your own children, isn't it? But it was a nice It was a nice break from, you know, a couple of weeks of just doing that, which is pretty much all I've been uh, been up to. And it was good fun. Yeah, and it was nice. Loads of people joined in. I think it was, there was a nice feeling to it because you knew hundreds of points, thousands of people were watching and it made it all feel a bit more worthwhile. 
Yeah, the amount of money that people donated was the significant thing. I would have preferred if nobody had watched it and everybody had just ignored us and just donated that same amount of money anyway, especially if that had given us the option of not doing it and then we could have just had some sleep and it would have been fine. But I think, uh, yeah, the, the two good sides were raising loads of money for a really good cause and getting leads promoted, which was probably the nearest thing to what we were all looking forward to against Charlton in a month's time. We've had it. And if you weren't there at one thirty in the morning, uh, you ain't got it. It does say a weird thing about the, the nature of football, doesn't it? That because there were loads of people watching it, it felt somehow massively important at the time. It was like, I don't know, it had a lot more on it than it would have done if it was just me or you alone in a bedroom playing football manager. That would have been a bit more like, oh, okay. That's just happened. But knowing there were loads of people watching it and supporting it, it did actually genuinely make it feel like quite an event. Yeah, when me and you have been alone in a bedroom before, we've not really had the same audience interaction, have we? (laughs) It does speak to something about the shared experience of football. And I saw an article about that to that effect earlier on today, actually. And it does remind you what it's all about and what it is that we're missing and what we can look forward to when we get back. Because when football does come back, it's going to feel amazing, isn't it? To be able to just congregate and do all the things that we took for granted before. And I like to think that when we get promoted in real life, John Richardson will be there draped in only a Leeds flag, necking pints of Baileys. Yeah, good effort on the part of John, it has to be said. He joined us at 9.30, was going to stick around for maybe an hour and a half, something like that. Obviously, having a young daughter, you're going to have to get off to bed, you know, early starts in the morning. No, no, no. John stuck with us for about what, four hours, it was, hung in there until we got promoted. He drunk absinthe as well as that Baileys, didn't he? Um, auctioned off his Leeds United onesie, which raised, to be fair, 300 quid for the food bank. And then Johnny Dent's hats off to you, uh, a further 100 quid that Johnny has donated to candle lighters. He was going to auction it off again for candle lighters, but in the end, uh, as he put it, to save the hassle, he just donated 100 quid to candle lighters anyway. So so good on you, Johnny. That's fantastic. And yeah, John Richardson was dancing around wearing naught but a, a Leeds United flag they ripped down from the, um, the ceiling of his pub in his garage. And what a sight that was, uh, nearly two in the morning. And thank you to our other guests as well. We had... Uh the Athletics Phil Hayon, we had Eamon who does the uh, does all the design work for the mag, we had Matt Abbott, we had Rob Mulholland and then in the middle of the night we had Katie, do we know her name? Yeah, Katie. Katie, <laughs> right, yeah. It was just some random person who was on the chat who said, can I come on? And we went, yeah, I suppose so. So she was on for a bit. Yeah, it was good. Thanks to her, not her scum supporting husband in the least though. It all got quite um, 5am at a party at that time from what I remember. Um, you were great value Sunday morning, Moscow, um, when I tuned back in about quarter to nine, nine o'clock, and you were uh, quite animated. Uh, you were having gin for breakfast. Uh, yeah, because I'd just finished off all the carver. Yeah, I don't really remember much about the last hour. You, you did get a bit shouty in the last hour, I've got to say. Well, cause I wanted, you were absolutely, I wanted you were you absolutely to, fuming. I wanted you to finish the bloody game. There are 16 games left of that season. We could have we, completed it in the time we had. I mean, there's nothing. We've got nothing better to do. We could have got there. We could have got leads to the Premier League, but no, no. Michael's got to sleep. When are we finishing it? Uh, I don't know. We will, though, won't we? We might as well. We said we would. This is how sad I've been. I've actually been reading up on um, some old football manager forums about things, ways to sign good players on it. So I've got some hot scouting tips for us. We still had the January window ahead, didn't we? Or did it go until? Yeah, it was the January window, wasn't it? I'm I'm planning for the future as well. I was reading about at this point we should be signing um, all the the regen Scandinavian players because they all come into the game and you can get if they're under 18 you can grab them all for free. 
Gonna so that's be... going to be they're going to be the the players we sign in for our promotion push yeah. or potential Premier League campaign. You're putting in a, a long term youth policy, signing yeah, lots exactly. of lots of five and six year olds for the future. Yeah, so I've, I'm clearly planning to play this game for a very long time. Whether or not anyone else wants to watch is uh, I've no idea. And returning to what Moscow said earlier on, the serious business here was raising cash for the Leeds fans food bank. By the looks of it, about 14 grand has gone into the pot. The total when we started was 12,500 quid. And when I checked on Tuesday afternoon, we were at 26,500. So an extra 14 grand has gone onto it. And we will um, have an exact figure from the supporters trust who are coordinating the food bank activities uh, once it's all been tallied up. But if you donated, we do know that you've helped to provide over 15,000 meals for the food bank, which is absolutely amazing. So thank you. We did hear from Lewis, by the way, on Saturday night, who left us a series of lovely voice memos on our WhatsApp number, which you can access by going to the squareball.net forward slash WhatsApp. Voice memos, obviously preferred because this is an audio medium. Um, so let's hear their journey as they try to recreate another classic Legion United moment via the gift of drink on a Saturday night. All right, boys, hope you're having a good lockdown. Me and my best mate, Dan, are sat in front of FIFA 09, and we're about to embark on a epic quest to recre- recreate... January 3rd, the- remember the date. January 3rd, remember the date. Leeds United versus Man United at Old Trafford. We've, um, unfortunately, EA servers have decided that they're no longer uh, supporting this um, uh, this game and uh, none, of the cl- none of the clubs are up to date anymore. So we're going to have to, we're, we're having to trawl through the entire game to uh, do all the transfers that we got. Jason Crow, who started, isn't in the squad. Paddy Kisnorbo, absolute... Leicester. Yeah, we just, just had to sign him from Leicester. We'll let you know how we get on. Thanks very much. Lots of love. Have a great lockdown. Uh, well, boys, we did our best. <laughs> we got dicked on 6 0. We'll be trying that one again. This could take a while. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, dear. Rematch straight away. Here we go. 5 bloody nil this. Oh, boys. We did slightly nil. better. It was nil nil at seventy minutes, and then five nil. And the, their goal, Ronaldo scored. He was fucking five yards offside. I'm absolutely That's livid. So I'm right, literally fucking massive. Try again. Next time Third it'll be four lucky. nil. Oh. Well, lads, uh, there's a bit of a regression. Five nil again. I hate this game. So it's what uh, 16-0 on aggregate after three games? Yeah. Maybe we should put it down semi-pro. No, no. No, no. No, absolutely not. We've also discovered that Jermaine Beckford <laughs> looks white in FIFA 09. It's absolutely disgraceful behaviour. Where are the where are the sanctions? What bruv's for them? Wearing, shirt? What bruv's he wearing? Absolutely ridiculous. EA, absolute wankers. <laughs> Six nil down. Seven nil. We <laughs> the game. Fucking back. Six nil down. Oh, and we've won a penalty. The white Jermaine Beckford steps up and he misses it. 
Man United go down the other end and just <laughs> whack the fucking goal in. It's 7 0. But with fresh eyes. Oh, gee, I think it's time for bed. <sighs> and after four whiskeys. I hate this game. I fucking hate this game. Oh, thanks, lads. Marching on together. Oh, dear. Well, that certainly passed a few hours on um, on Saturday night and, well, Sunday morning as well. What else have you been up to? Did a bit of sleeping on Saturday. Well, Sunday. God, my days are so messed up. I was really struggling to cope with the fact it was Monday yesterday because of the weird going to bed and then getting up and then going to bed again. Today, I've just been like doing some gardening and stuff. It's been quite nice. Been a nice day. The kids found like a little mouse living under one of the bushes, so that that provided about an hour's entertainment. They've been giving it grapes, which is probably not brilliant to try and encourage a mouse to continue to live in the garden. But it's reached that stage where I'm just happy if they're quiet. So if we get infested, that's fine. Sounds a little bit better than what was happening on my street, which was people dancing. Like, you know, people had been going out in their driveways, but, you know, staying a, a right distance away from each other, but dancing to music. Wigfield, Saturday night, was the one that was blasting out on Sunday evening. So, wrong day. And did I join in? No, I didn't. Yeah, there was. I'm on some, I've ended up on some like mum's Facebook group for the school with people just basically like talking about the way they're being like really good parents and looking after the kids and doing ed- enriching educational things with them. So, I'm not contributing very much. But on there, there was a suggestion that we do it to a certain time to reach by S Club 7. And I just, I've ignored it. And I've not told the kids either, because I don't want them to try and rope me into it. Moscow, presumably you spent last 48 hours on some sort of dialysis or similar? <laughs> I got some uh, I got some sleep. What should they, The dancing must have taken you back to uh, happier days at Tiger Tiger and Baja Beach, where you just stand looking morose while other people are having fun and dancing about. Well, that's it. Your job is to stand there in judgment of other people dancing to music that you're playing. You don't get involved in it. Don't like fun. At least you got to relive a little bit of your, your DJ glory. I'm not sure if I'd call it glory. You love that job some of the time. We've partnered up with The Athletic to bring you The Phil Hay Show, a weekly podcast that comes out on a Friday morning. And during the COVID lockdown, we're getting you to pick one of the discussion points. To get involved in that, have a look at Phil's Twitter account and tell us what we should be talking about this week. Phil, what are the choices? You've got three choices as ever. The first is the recruitment of Bielsa in 2018, story behind that. The sale of Alan Smith in 2004, uh, the story behind that. Or alternatively, the signing of Jermaine Beckford in 2006. Athletic subscribers can listen to that show and all the Athletic podcasts ad-free via the app. And The Athletic is also where you'll get all Phil's writing without ads, pop-ups and clickbait. What have you got for us this week, Phil? Well, we've got a, a piece uh, with the Head of Medicine and Performance at Leeds, Rob Price. Um, a look inside the, the medical room at Leeds, how they're managing um, the, the maintenance of the players during the coronavirus shutdown, the way in which they planned for this and, and, and when discussions started. Full details and, and interesting thoughts from him about how this needs to start up, what will need to happen when they do get back to the point of, of resuming games. And we've also got a survey online which is trying to canvas the thoughts of, of the supporters and, and the readers um, about things like the finances at Elland Road, the state of the squad, how the squad might fare in the, in the Premier League next season, what they think of the investment in the team and, and other issues round about like, like ticketing. Uh, we've got the last of our top three goals series coming on Wednesday, which um, the identity of the goal I don't think will surprise anybody but it is uh, it is an absolute cracker and then later towards the end of the week we're going to do a big piece on the state of EFL finances at the moment with everything shutting down and there is in the background and coming very soon a long extended interview with a Leeds United cult hero which I won't give too much more away about but I think people will enjoy Thanks for that Phil we'll see you later on in the week Thanks Dan There's a free trial and 50% off a subscription by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball
Back in Leeds United and football world then, uh, we normally at this time of the year keep an eye out for the accounts. Now, they've landed at Companies House in the UK, but they're not ready to view until they've all been um, sorted out on their fancy computer system. But we'll watch out for that. I'm sure we'll have something to say about that next week anyway. It probably won't be great news, will it? I think we're expecting quite a, a sizable loss given with everything the club have said is that we're going to be, we're right up to the, the limits of what we're allowed to be in, indebted. So I'm not sure there's going to be any great surprises in there, but we'll wait and see, I suppose. We have heard from the boss though, Andrea Ratrasani has been talking to one or two people, trickling out little bits of information and, and the takeover talk won't quite go away. That's still going on. Yeah, it seemed to come to a, a weird kind of revival last week of, takeover rumours which you'd think would be the the last thing anybody was worrying about I mean it would be absolute madness for anybody to either buy or sell a football club right now I just don't see it, it realistically happening and I think but there was enough of it that Andrea Radrizzani ended up saying uh, that uh, they are rumours that have been around for over a year and uh, it did make it sound, he said, there's an excellent relationship with QSI on a personal level, a desire to do something together, which did make it sound like he sort of just wanted to kiss them. I mean, said maybe even in football, if he's not allowed to kiss them, but nothing concrete at the moment. Um, and then he says that furthermore, in the past few weeks, everything has gone into the background. He did speak on, there was a country less heard from in his last sentence, where he said that his desire is to make Leeds a main protagonist in the Premier League. And if... To do that, we need new partners other than the San Francisco 49ers. We'll evaluate that when we are in that league. Because normally when um, all this takeover stuff gets spoken about, even by Andrea Ratrizzani, he tends not to mention the, the 49ers. There was even when he was talking about, he was pinned down by Martin Ziegler, wasn't he? And said that he was talking to QSI about investment and there was an Italian involved and some Americans, um, but he didn't name the 49ers or whether it was other Americans or or who. And they've kind of took their uh, percentage and then been forgotten unless you see Calvin Phillips wearing one of the free baseball caps that he got. And Phil Hay followed up that that element of it by saying that the message from Ellen Road has always been that a 49ers buyout is every bit as possible as a QSI buyout. But I think there's also the other message from Ellen Road is always that neither is just as possible. And Radrizzani is on his usual tip there of saying um, he wants to take us into the Premier League and might need some partners once he gets there, but he's going to wait and see. And just returning to the deferment of the wages that we've been speaking about on the last couple of shows, interesting to contrast the Leeds players agreeing this without any fuss. Uh, well, there may, may have been a bit of fuss behind the scenes, but the public face of it was certainly what you'd hope for from a PR point of view. When you contrast that with a club like Liverpool, who you know, the way that they position themselves, should we say socially, Liverpool, for them to to furlough their workers and then backtrack on it due to the backlash. It's quite interesting to see that, wasn't it? I think of all clubs, Liverpool, who their fans pride themselves so much on being a special and different entity to every other club in the in the land, it was a bit of a kick in the teeth to, to hear that they were actually being dickheads on this one. I have ended up feeling quite sorry for some of the the players involved in this. It's not often I have much sympathy for a, a Premier League player, but it seems like um, Jordan Henderson in particular has been busy coordinating a kind of a, a charitable response among Premier League players of how they can all pull together spare cash and, and donate whatever they can afford to a, a kind of a collective fund that then gets used for good works. And then two things happen. Is one is the health secretary basically told him to fuck all that and just take a pay cut. Otherwise he was a, an enemy of, of everybody. And then, and then his own club go and 
put all their uh, non-playing staff on a, a government furlough. And I sort of detected it with um, with Danny Rose as well when he'd done a big uh, donation to his local hospital where it's the hospital that's treated him when he's had injuries as well so he's thought oh well there's one i can i can write them a check and he'd he'd apparently tried to do it anonymously but they'd convinced him that it would help if he if he did it publicly so he's he's doing these while at the same time he's being told nope that's that's worth absolutely nothing unless you take this uh this 30 percent pay cut which seems uh i think the players are quite justified in being very very wary of it because they're all kind of saying well doesn't that just mean that our boss keeps it and what then happens, like, I, there's no real correlation between a 30% pay cut just means that, as we can see at Liverpool, the way that Liverpool's owners are behaving, the police go, right, well, that's 30%. We don't have to pay them. Keep that. And no nurse anywhere gets a single penny more, whereas the players are, are, are trying to take the initiative on it and saying, just keep paying us. And then we we can sort out where we need to, to redirect this money of our, uh, of our own accord. And I think they have been... Um, a little bit caught up in uh, in a what is a PR storm um, of their own making, which is quite different to the the Leeds one. I think at Leeds United, it's pretty clear, and it was probably quite easy for Angus Kinnear to, to go to the players and say, "Look, you know, we're not the richest club in the world. Um, this is the Championship. We don't make millions." Sean Harvey screwed us on that that broadcasting deal. So, in order to keep our our non-playing staff paid and, and cared for we need the players who can afford it to to take a cut and it's kind of there's a there's a reasonable way of, of coming around it that way whereas I think clubs like Liverpool I think Tottenham are supposed to be the eighth richest club in the world certainly top 10 or all this I think a lot of the players at the higher end I don't have a problem with the fact that they have questions before just letting their uh, club owners keep large proportions of their wages I wonder if with the Leeds players as well, because they don't have Premier League wages, they're in some ways more able to take a bit of a pay cut because the, like we see in, inside of their homes a bit more now because they're all they're all locked in them doing bits of exercise and stuff. And while they all are obviously not living in a, a bed sit in Beeston, it doesn't look like any of them live in proper mansions or anything, does it? Like that might have a, a £3 million mortgage on it, which is the sort of thing Premier League footballers buy. It looks like mainly they're living quite nice city centre flats and things like that, which, well, well expensive, I'm sure. They can probably still afford to keep living in quite comfortably. Yeah, the, the tax issue as well. I'm, I mean, I can't pretend to be an expert in in what footballers pay in tax and how their, their pay is given to them and some of them obviously have image rights payments and where the bonuses go and, and all this but enough of them have said that this would mean us paying less in in tax that directly does then go to um, things like the NHS and schools and vital services that that need it for me to realize that there is probably more to sort out a, a Premier League club with the the players across the the players' wages than just somebody standing there and just saying, and of all people for the health secretary to be standing there and saying, just take a pay cut. And the players say, well, it's it's actually not that easy because that could have tax implications. No, just take a pay cut. Do it now. Why haven't you done it yet? Do it yesterday. For for footballers to be called out on it as well is very unfair because footballers Premier League footballers are very rich by any normal standard. But if you look at them by the standards of Britain's richest people, there's probably not a footballer on there if you were to look at the top two or three hundred. Certainly not just a standard footballer earning money from being a footballer. Maybe if you get into people like David Beckham who maybe have earned millions over the years from image rights or something, one of them might sneak in. But they're not actually the highest paid people in Britain. So to, to, to go straight to them and go, you lot are all rich, aren't you? And you seem to all, 
you're all sort of young working class men. Surely you can you don't you won't miss the money anyway, shouldn't you just give that over to us? I did see um a stat actually, somebody said that football has contributed I think it was three billion pounds in tax per year to the government. And like you say, if you if you slice a massive proportion of that off, then you're denying some of that tax. And that as as a as an industry, and I don't know how many people that involves, but it's a damn sight more than without, you know, turning this into a political thing, but than a lot of big corporations pay, isn't it? So it, it feels slightly misplaced. And as you said, Moscow, I'm never going to defend somebody earning £150,000 a week, but that's what you get paid for entertainment. It's like what you used to get at Tiger Tiger. <laughs> yeah, I wish. In some ways, football is quite a pure way of earning money for people because it's not like people are earning money from it uh, or extracting it from people in it for doing anything dubious. It's not like it's a... It's it's purely for an entertainment exchange, isn't it? If people like seeing this, these people do these things, they'll pay money for it. If they don't, they won't. Whereas if someone is running a business, start making a lot of people redundant and taking money out of the pension fund or something, then that has a negative effect and that person can still be paid well. Yeah. With mean, football, it is kind of democratic. I don't think there is a, a footballer out there who is jealously guarding his big stash of money so that nobody can have any of it. They just want to make sure it's done in the... In the right way. As a comparison, two 35-year-olds, neither of whom I particularly care for, but Cristiano Ronaldo, his net worth, according to the internet, is $460 million. And I did hear that his earnings, his career earnings, have just passed $1 billion over the last month or so. Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, also 35, is worth $61.8 billion. We have this perception of Cristiano Ronaldo of being this, this, well, he is a disgusting Lee rich person, but they're nowhere near in the league of some business owners and uh, nowhere near the uh, the concentration that it did. I can't remember which footballer it was who said they felt like this was just like a PR distraction, that the government are feeling a bit of heat for the way that they're handling the, the crisis overall. And they've just gone, uh, footballers, go and have a go at them instead, leave us alone. But it does seem like that's genuinely the way that they're um, feeling. Well, Anthony Bamford, just for comparison... He's worth $2.9 billion. And how much is Patrick James worth? $2.9 million, probably. <laughs> Something like that. Hey, speaking it's a of, lot still. Speaking of footballers who are sat there hoarding the money, let's talk about Harry Kewell, everyone's favourite, uh, well, twat. Did you see that interview that Mark Viduka did with Fox Sports in Australia this week? Sort of the main thrust of it being that it confirmed that him and Kewell barely spoke when they were at Leeds. And the interesting point here is that it all goes back to Kewell's agent. You remember Bernie Mandich? He was the guy pulling the strings on the move to Liverpool that ended up costing Leeds millions whilst they took it in the move. And Mandich was the guy who oversaw Viduka's move from Celtic to Leeds, but then Viduka sacked him off or parted ways, I think the phrase is, shortly after. And that was the root cause of the bad blood between the pair. They've since spoken, but it's interesting anyway, isn't it? Uh, Viduka did say that we have a, a better relationship now. We have spoken since we have spoken in 2013 last. So that seems like a good relationship. They, they haven't spoken for seven years, but they're getting on well now. And interesting to see Kewell having a loyalty to an agent, the man who can provide him money and work. Yeah, I mean, having just said footballers shouldn't have to pay for this, I would be completely in favour of taking all of Harry Kewell's money and possessions and giving it to uh, whoever wants it, really. I mean, he could give some of it back to Leeds United, first of all, and then he could then he could give the rest to uh, you know the NHS or something. He could do the right thing for once. The other telling stuff in all this, did you see the story, or the part of the story, rather, about Leeds speaking to AC Milan in the summer of 2001 about a possible transfer of Viduka? Did you see the number that was attached to it? £38 million. 
What did we get from him in the end? We got uh, Michael Ricketts. Was it, about, <laughs> was it about six million quid we got from him in the end? Something like that, plus Michael Ricketts. Yeah, it's, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, it would have probably been a scandal at the time if we had sold Mark Viduca even for £38 million. Pounds. But also, in the longer term, could probably use that money. It might have saved the club event, ultimately, mightn't it, given everything that happened afterwards? You say that, but we, if you bear in mind, we had not bought at this time Robbie Fowler or Seth Johnson. So we probably just would have gone and spent it on even more ridiculous things. It does show where Viduka was at at that point as well, because I think he's slightly forgotten about in, in English football just how good he was, because he, he wasn't here for his peak years, but didn't last for that long. But I'd say, arguably, at Leeds, he's the most talented striker we've had. Him, maybe him and him and Yeboa. I struggle to think of anyone anyone else we've had who was genuinely world class on the day. Alan Clark, John Charles, Mick I mean, Jones. In my time, in my in my time of watching Leeds, obviously. Okay, just stick one in there for the. Uh, for the <laughs> what I could, did you I could uh, sense the blood pressure boiling? Moscow. What did you enjoy about um, watching Alan Clark and uh, John Charles? Um, Alan Clark, I enjoyed that he won us the FA Cup. <laughs> And uh, John Charles said he was the greatest footballer in the world. And when I have watched um, footage of John Charles, what little there is available on video recordings, you can see he was absolutely outstanding. Michael is wrong. <laughs> uh, no, I, it was taken out of context. I meant of that I have seen is what I meant to say. With your piggy little eyes. The other part of this story as well, perhaps, which would have been accepted less than a move to AC Milan was that he was in Manchester talking to the team in red, Manchester United, I believe they're called, about a potential move there around a similar time. That wouldn't have gone down particularly well, I don't think. You? I'm wondering who they signed instead of him, because if they were in for a striker, they must have got somebody around that time. So I think it might have been. But no, that wouldn't have gone down well at all. Probably, although, strangely enough, if he'd gone there and Kewell did what he did, Fuduka would probably still be thought of better than, than Harry Kewell is, which says an awful lot. Some people still have fond memories of Cantona. They mistakenly think he uh, he won us the league and all that sort of stuff. And um, this was all engineered, or almost anyway, by Elton John, because he was live in Manchester that night. So Fuduka gets backstage passes, and him and uh, him and Elton John, and Mark Viduka and Elton John are talking. And then he starts babbling on does Viduka about having met Man United that day and a potential move. So Elton lets them watch side of the stage. Then three songs in, he does some uh, some stage chatter. I want to dedicate this next one to my good friend Mark, who is in Manchester today, to make a big decision. And Viduka says, I'm thinking, shit, please don't say any more, and thank God that he didn't. And he didn't sign for Man United, the reason being he loved living in Leeds too much at the time, which is a damn good reason. If this was the summer of 2001, when he was also being linked to Milan, it's when they signed Ruud van Nistelrooy for £19 million. Ah, Viduka was better than him. Obviously. It is interesting that he just liked living in Leeds and, and didn't bother going there because I think that was part of the, the deal with Viduka was that he was very laid back. I was at a thing where Eddie Gray was talking about him saying how you had to like basically make him angry before a game if you wanted to get anything out of him because he was just not asked, generally speaking. He's just incredibly laid back. He's just like, yeah, go out and play. Try my best, whatever. Some score some goals, maybe. Who knows? Then he, I think he used to tell him Martin Keown had been saying stuff about him to make him angry. You can kind of feel that in what he says about the Milan move not going through, where he says as a kid he, he grew up watching Van Basten and Rijkaard and Hullet. They were my favourite team, uh, but it just wasn't meant to be. So, fine. Fuck it. Not bothered. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Head to the squareball.net forward slash WhatsApp if you want to pose a question to us that will ping you through to the app, put in our number and set you all up ready to record a voice memo, which is what we would love to get from you so we can play you out here on the podcast. GB has done that. Hey guys, um, just watching some old goals from Becchio and I was just had a thought, I'm wondering what your thoughts were on um, if you played that team, you know, Becchio, Beckford. Brady Johnson, Snodgrass, Gradle, Housen. And if they were coached by Bielsa, um, and you played them against the current team coached by Bielsa, who do you think would come out on top? Who was the better team if both were coached equally by Bielsa? I think the current side, as much as Grayson's attacking team was excellent, I can't imagine Bielsa trying to get his def- Grayson's defenders to play the way our defence plays. Because the, the fullbacks in particular and also the centre-backs are expected to play so much football. I just don't see Paul Connolly being able to do the Luke Ayling job. And as much as I loved people like Paddy Kisnarbo and Richard Naylor, I don't see them being able to do Ben White or Liam Cooper jobs in the middle either of actually spending a lot of time on the ball and having to run out with it and look to play passes. So I think we'd, I'd go with the current side to win just about. I think Bielsa would find a way of uh, resurrecting Ben Parker. So there's one player who would be able to fit in the... Uh, in the system, um, he might move uh, Ad White to the right, so we don't have to worry about Paul Connolly and uh, and keep him. Obviously, he was built for uh, for the kind of training and fitness that Bielsa demands. I think there was so much attacking talent in that Gracing team with Gradle, Beckford, Becchio, Snodgrass, Johnny House, and even Billy Painter that you would have to think they would just they would score a hat for my prediction was 6-4 to the Grayson team they wouldn't be able to defend against Bamford and uh, Jackie Harrison and Helder Costa for a minute and Pablo Hernandez would carve them open all the time depends who the goalkeeper is I guess I mean I mean Casper Schmeichel turned out quite well so he might if he's actually given something to do we might keep the score down a bit but even Ben White Liam Cooper at their best I think would struggle with um, with that much coming out I mean every single one of that 
of those forward players, apart from Billy Painter, scored goals in the Premier League from memory. And some of them played there for, for a good long time. And um, I have no reason to think that Bielsa wouldn't coach them to even greater things. I must admit, I don't really see an issue with any of that. The Grayson attack. I think he'd absolutely love Gradle. I think he'd probably be his favourite player. He'd be his Jackie Harrison of this season, just the first in the team sheet playing every game. I think Snodgrass, had a, he might have a bit of an issue with stamina, but I think he'd, as he did with Saez when he first came in, I think he'd end up probably playing him centrally and letting him do a bit of whatever he wants and get him to run as much as he can. And it was never a lack of effort with Snod either. He just always looked tired. But I think, he, I think he'd be able to do it. It's just where it drops a bit deeper in the team. I don't know. Well, this is it. I, I have my doubts. Alex Bruce can still be giving Pat Bamford every chance he wants. It's Pat Bamford, though. How many is he going to score? I'm being generous with four. I would love to have seen Becchio playing a Bielsa side, though. He's exactly Bielsa's sort of player, isn't he? I know sometimes he could control it further than I could kick it. You know, that kind of uh, slightly reckless first touch. But even then, on his day... He was completely unplayable, wasn't he? Aggressive and just got into all the right positions. And you imagine Bielsa would love that. Yeah, I enjoyed Kemal Roof's comment this week about Bielsa's expectations where he said um, he doesn't mind you missing as much as he minds you not being in the position to miss. If you're doing all the work and you're getting in the positions, he's he won't be happy if you then miss the chance, but he won't be angry with you. I think that's what it would uh, come down to with, um, with Becchio, the work rate you would get from him. He'd be his favourite player, plus common language they could have um as all i've seen from um becchio and his instagram stories since the the lockdown and obviously it's been very bad in spain is pretty much what i saw on them before the lockdown which is just him barbecuing enormous quantities of meat in his back garden and i think uh, there may actually have been some social life there for bielsa if becchio had still been around having a um a weekend barbecue as long as Becchio could run it off by Monday. Still might happen. Still might happen. Right, um, Joe's question now then. I just wanted to know what your opinions were on Gary Kelly. Because a player that for me, when I was a kid, he was like Danny Alves. But I'm pretty sure the reality is not how I remember it. What does he represent to you then, Michael? I loved him when he, he was coming into the team at the same time as I was getting into Leeds. So... I think you've always got a little bit of a special relationship with the the young players at the time that you're also young, even though obviously half his age. And at the time, he was considered a real attacking, exciting fullback because it's all in, in a way it's unfair if you've only started watching football in the last ten years to expect too much of a fullback of, of the nineties because they didn't do a lot. They mainly ran up to the halfway line and then just belted it into a channel. We've watched quite a few old games on the. Um, on the extra ball and even Gary Kelly is guilty of doing it at points but then there were times as well where we just set off down the right wing and it's again if you only saw late Gary Kelly you maybe underestimate just how quick he was when he was young and he was really exciting he was he was not quite Cafu or Roberto Carlos as they were like the the attacking fullbacks of the 90s but for the Premier League and for Leeds United at that point he was great he was absolutely perfect he had the right um, manager um, Howard Wilkinson had always used Mel Sterland at Sheffield Wednesday and then brought him to Leeds and used him to get promoted and, and win the title and, title. and Sterland did spend as much time next to the opponent's corner flag as he did with ours. And then we had that horrible season after winning the title when Sterland couldn't get his fitness back and had to retire. Or we tried David Kerslake and John Newsom and Chris Fairclough and David Rocastle and David Batty and nobody could do that bombing on job and I think Sterling as far as I'm concerned Danny Alves must have grown up watching videos of Mel Sterling play to learn how to do it and then Gary I love the idea of that. and then Gary Kelly came in and 
he was just absolutely incredible. There's the, the brilliant goal in, I think it might be the 94-5 season. Um, it's during that run when Norwegian scored all his goals in autumn 1994. We're playing Man City and we're defending a corner. And then the ball goes, breaks left and Gary Kelly just sprints one end of the pitch to the other with the ball and then just square to Whelan, goal, dead easy. And he could have just, and he looked, there was something about Gary Kelly at that time as well. He just always looked so relaxed. He was just, he looked as if he could have just run that distance another couple of times, which was the problem really, because by the time the Champions League, it, League era did come around, we had broken him. I, I looked up for this, his appearances in, in all competitions from 93-94, he made his debut, played every single game, 47 games, and then the World Cup. Then came back in 94-95, again played every single league game, 48 in total, 95-96, 51, 96-97, 41, 97-98, 40, and then 98-99, zero, because his shin splints had absolutely fucked him. The sheer number of games he just played without a break, ultimately... Uh, he was never quite the same player when he came back after that season. A bit of the pace had gone and George Graham had arrived. So things things had, were different. And he had uh, Danny Mills competing competing for a place. But those first five seasons when he just played practically every match and was brilliant in all of them were fantastic. And I think as well, like any of the players who came down from the Premier League and had to endure seasons in the Championship, like him and Eric Backer, and uh, uh, Seth Johnson, you kind of you almost forget the good bits because you're like, oh, okay, they were Kevin Blackwell players rather than you know Howard Wilkinson players. Though late era Gary Kelly did give me a great moment in watching the Wigan game in an Oxford pub with my mate Nathan. I think we we're the only two people in the whole pub watching the uh, watching the football, and we both did a little lap around the pub as he screamed in that ridiculous, most un Gary Kelly strike in was it the last minute? I can't remember. It was maybe an injury time. I can't remember. We lost the game anyway, obviously, ultimately, but it was a, it was a nice moment for that for that time, which was pretty dire overall. And, you know, he was made captain by George Graham in the 97-98 season, wasn't he? And he was 23 years old, so it's a testament to how well thought of he was at the time. What was it? 530-odd appearances in the end, and you think he would have probably got quite close to uh, certainly higher up in the, the record appearances um, league tables had he not knackered his shins in. He deserved a bit of a, a better end as well than... Um... I think his last moment as a player was after we'd got relegated against Ipswich. I stayed in the ground tr- frantically trying to work out if we had been relegated or not. I think I was texting that any questions answered service, trying to find out what the the other scores were to know if we were up or down. And for some reason, they brought Gary Kelly onto the pitch with, I think, Alan Clark and Paul Reaney and presented him with a cut glass bowl for making so many appearances. And I just I remember standing there thinking... In fact, I mean, this is one of my my regrets, but after that match, I pretty much just walked away. I could not be bothered with, with football after that summer because it had just been such a horrendous afternoon. And one of the big, big parts of it was watching Gary Kelly getting this, this bowl for no reason when we'd just been relegated to the third division for the first time ever. And I think I really, really, having basically been with his career from his from before his debut, when he was always kind of the, the exciting hotshot striker in the youth team to then seeing it end with this it just everything about the occasion felt disgusting a lot of people won't remember that either that he was a striker no he um seems odd given he never scored any goals he was a a strike i think he came as a striker and then he moved to the right wing and what howard wilkinson said is he he worked out that he was a reactive player 
rather than a proactive player. So he could, he was better further back seeing something happen and then he would zoom over and stop it. But when he was on the wing trying to sort of invent things, he, he just couldn't get the hang of it. And uh, yeah, when they made that change, it happened in um, pre-season, in pre-season tour in Ireland. And I can pretty much remember the, the club call, call where they were saying that uh, an, an unusual tactical move, Howard Wilkinson has played Gary Kelly at right back and it's looked like it's been a great success. And um, yeah, he was there for that uh, that first game of the of the season away at Main Road with Noel Whelan and Brian Dean up front and everybody in the blue and yellow Asics um, striped shirts. And you think youth is really going to take this club forward, obviously, um, Howard Wilkinson was already doing his best to undermine that because he'd signed David O'Leary and he was making his debut as well at something like 47 years old. But yeah, he was uh, he really was a, a positive youngster. Going back to that Ipswich game, Moscow, at, at what point did you think we might have stayed up? Did you think we were angry? We were happily throwing bottles at opposition fans? Well, that was to try and get the game abandoned because I don't think we were, we were actually not mathematically down at the end of that game because... Um, if I remember rightly, there was still a way that in the last match, if we scored something like 20, yeah. it, it could still have happened. So there was definitely, I have a vague memory that it might have been the Cardiff result or the Carlisle result. And I was frantically trying to get some confirmation that that is what definitely happened. Because there was no announcement. There was nothing. There was no, and there was nobody around who, who knew. So yeah, it was... Um, it was difficult. Yeah, the bottle throwing was all just to try and get get it stopped and like abandoned it uh, at a result that might have kept us up, which I don't think. Actually, I don't think there was any logic to it, was there? It was just going pe- angry people chucking bottles. Yeah, there's nothing quite like seeing a player go from debut to retirement to make you feel slightly old. Um, <laughs> on to a question now then from Keith. With all the talk of football starting in June with teams playing in a certain ground for a couple of days. It would be interesting to see what grounds they'd pick and just like your opinion on it. Keith talking there about this idea that we, uh, we've touched on in the last couple of podcasts, one with Phil as well, um, the prison camp idea with all the footballers congregating around certain centres in in the Midlands and maybe playing at a limited number of stadiums in order to get the season finished. I wonder if the FA have come up with this idea because they intend to make, you know, St. George's Park, where the England team train and they've got lots of accommodation and stuff like that, whether that's in their mind, basically hold everybody up in there, make it like a clean area, you know, free of coronavirus kind of thing, all tested and uh, cleansed and all the rest of it. And then they're not too far from grounds in the Midlands, but we shall see which grounds and do, would you Jack like to see. And then Jack Grealish sneaks out <laughs> for just one drink with Ross McCormack, who will, who will not have kept himself clean and antiseptic, I'm sure. And then basically the entire Premier League is infected then, aren't they? So, uh, blame Grealish? Yeah, preemptively for infecting every single Premier League footballer. Fine, but where would you like to see the games played? I mean, Ellen Road's not far from the Midlands, is it? A couple of hours up the road? From memory, the Rico Arena is completely in the middle of nowhere anyway. it's It seems to have been built not in a town, not in a retail park, just in the middle of some waste ground with nothing but roads around it. And it also has a hotel attached, so I think that's fine. Po- just play them all there. It's got a kind of a post-apocalyptic vibe, hasn't it? Make them all live in the double tree. There's also the, there's like an arena bolted on as well, isn't there? So they can do a bit of they can use that for practice or something in there. I think um, actual prisons. Never mind this um, this prison camp business. Just put them all in an actual prison that I'm sure will have a an exercise yard. Play it there. 
it will be interesting to see with the empty stadiums if they attempt to do anything electronically to make them a bit better because I'm sure the technology would exist to make it appear they're playing in a full stadium which would at least make it feel like a bit more of a spectacle on TV even if even if it was entirely fake. Well, the technology existed in 1993, didn't it, when Arsenal put that um, CGI North Bank. Remember that? I don't remember that. Yes, they, well, CGI, maybe over overdoing it. They put a big wooden painting of a crowd um, <laughs> on the... Uh, on the fence to, to hide the building site while they rebuilt it. Okay, that's that's not really CGI. It was for that's 1993. A wooden, it's, a, it's a big wooden painting. Although I did, thinking about it, if, saying if they're going to do this, could they make some, do green screen for the whole stadium and let people choose where it's played? You could then pick, you could have like, you could have it played at Old Wembley, Ellen Road, you know, you know, Sunday League could be an option. You could have it with, you could have it played on Mordor or something if you wanted to. So just have, <laughs> have whatever you wanted. Have giants wandering past the edge of the pitch or something. It'd be quite a nice little little twist because people would be like, "Oh, do you remember the that season the Premier League finished and it was all it was all a bit trippy." Uh, true story for you. You know when they were doing the scenes at Mordor, they filmed those at the Rico Arena. I thought you were going to say Bradford then. Probably could be, yeah. Levi's are supporting us here on the podcast and they're offering 20% off for frontline workers during this coronavirus crisis and 10% off as well otherwise of your legal fees for going through us. Really weird all the stuff that's going on at the minute with life kind of uh, having ground to a halt and we're adjusting to this new reality but stuff's still going on in the background and Levi's want to say thanks. Make things a bit easier for you if you are a key worker such as the NHS staff, uh, delivery drivers, supermarket workers, whatever it might be. They cover off all areas of commercial law for your business or personal law as well. If you move in house or you've got an employment issue, Levi solicitors have got you covered. 10% off for going through us or 20% off if you are a key worker. Go to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Heroes and villains now then, gentlemen. Who has made us happy and who has made us a little bit disappointed? Not angry, I'm just disappointed. Let's pick them. Ken Bates Villainy Award first. Ken Bates gets a nomination first, or one of them, a, a variant on Ken Bates. What has he been doing this time? Before we get on to Wyoming, Ken, let's just imagine for a second Ken Bates did own Leeds United. And all of this positive stuff we've been talking about, about saying our players have just got on with it, our owner seems to have just gone, right, okay, we'll sort something out here that works for everyone, we'll look after the workers and things. We don't even have to answer this, but just imagine for yourselves what Ken Bates would be doing right now if he was in charge of Leeds United. I'm imagining what Ken Bates might what might, might be saying about it. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. The whole thing would just be very, very undignified. Yeah, how would it sound? Let's <laughs> not... Uh, it would be veering into libel stuff, I think, if we <laughs> have Ken Bates uh, talking about the Chinese. Mind you, can you libel a nation? Possibly not. But what's Ken Bates of Casper, Wyoming, then, our councilman? What's he been doing uh, recently? I think we've broken him, haven't we? Yeah, he appears to have got sick of his Facebook page being taken over and essentially ruined. He had no action on it before. There was nothing there to ruin, really. But um, yeah, he's he's gone, hasn't he? Just taking his bat and ball home after a parting statement. I mean, it was he seemed to be snapping as much as it was a, a parting statement. It was it was very emotive. Lots of capital letters. Yeah. Good afternoon. Uh, I- we wanted to send a, a Facebook video about my feelings regarding COVID-19 as the, the city council member to those that follow me in my ward too and the city of Casper. But but I have followers from Britain and all over the United Kingdom who, who are big fans of the Leeds football soccer for the USA that comment on my page. Love it. Somehow, 
came about that Leeds fans thought I was this Ken Bates from London and that was the owner of Leeds. Some fans know I'm not, but some still think I am. So everyone knows my name is Kenneth Bates, born and raised in Crespo, Wyoming. I'm married to one woman and we have three teens. I work for them in the Trona County School District in the city of Casper as a, a councilman for War 2. I hunt, fish and hike slash backpack as much as I can. I've never left the USA and I attend Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church. And before that, I attended Mountain View Baptist Church. Most most important thing about me is I'm a good fearing believer of Jesus the Christ and follower of the Holy Spirit. You know, here's some pictures for you. Kenneth Bates of Wyoming on the top and Ken Bates London on the bottom. Thank you very much. It's a little bit like, do you remember the band, the Britpop band Suede? They found out there was another band in America called Suede. So whenever they went to the States, it had to be known as the London Suede. I never knew but that. Yeah, this was it. So we've got the London Ken Bates and the, the Wyoming Ken Bates with his, his one single wife. He's very specific about the one wife, as if some allegations have been made about, unless he's maybe heard people talking about Susanna and he's worried about his wife getting wind of it and be like, look, this Susanna, this Susanna woman, you know I wouldn't, you, you know I wouldn't do, do that. I think that's mainly why this, uh, that's the yes. real reason why the Facebook page has been taken down. Too much his Susanna. Wife, his wife is saying, who's this Susanna everyone's asking you about? What have we done? Yeah. It will not, that sort of stuff will not go down well at the Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church, mm. nor at the Mount View Baptist Church. You're trying to praise Jesus T. Christ, and it's just, uh, and people are asking you who Susanna is. Yeah, it can be a bit much, can't it? And also constantly asking you when the nightclub's going to open. <laughs> the hotel. Is the part of you thinks maybe it's protesting a little bit too much, and that this might be our Ken? I mean, you get sort of, generally it works the other way, doesn't it? When you've got a missing person or something, and they age them. Could Ken, could Ken Bates have knocked 50 years, well, 40 years off himself and moved to Casper when, like a war criminal? When he has put the photos of himself, well, of the two of them side by side, it doesn't remove all doubt, does it? <laughs> you do have a look at him, you go, oh, actually, yeah, little bits. And who's to say we'll, that we'll uh, who's to say that Ken Bates isn't a follower and believer of Jesus the Christ? I was trying to track down if he'd made another... Facebook group after this because I thought maybe he's good. He thought I'll shut that one down, get rid of all those people, and I'll just start another one up. And if he's that is his trick long term, then we're going to be on to him. Don't you worry about that. But I did come across then another Kenneth Bates also in Wyoming who looks even more terrifying. Yeah, I'm I'm reluctant about um, getting too many people involved with this Ken. <laughs> is it because he seems to live in a house with with tin foil on the wind on on the wall and a mattress propped against it? Um. Awesome. That's just the inside of his. Um, it's it looks like a sleeping bag that he's taped up, and it's the kind of the shiny inside of it is. Uh, oh, it is actually. Yeah, I thought that was. I thought that was foil at a glance. I don't think so, but um, he doesn't look happy. Whatever it is, with whether it's his his home decoration that's that's put him down, or if it's the the Photoshop job on his profile picture, he's just a little bit disappointed. Even <laughs> all, all around. <laughs> Even if even if his house is looking a little bit ramshackle, you know that the one thing that's going to be absolutely immaculate is the gun cupboard. 
Well, he doesn't need guns. He's got a, he's got a fierce dog and three lions <laughs> by the look of his profile picture. I mean, the lions have been badly photoshopped onto some grass, so whether or not they still carry the same threat. Whereas the dog looks 100% realistic. It's it's about about three miles high, (laughs) looming out of the sky. Just about to eat some lions. I mean, don't... I know we've we've said to get on and fuck with Councilman Ken. Don't fuck with this guy. No, please leave him alone. Let's, um, Let's move on to somebody else then, another nomination for Villain. Uh, 442 magazine, or, or actually more accurately, the readers of 442 magazine, because was uh, they organised their annual fans vote for the top 50 players in the EFL, ask supporters of every club to vote for the best player in the EFL who is not at their club. And the results put Alexander Mitrovic first and Calvin Phillips second. And the rest of our team has been totally binned off as well. Ben White, 11th, Pontus Janssen, 12th, Pablo Hernandez, 13th. Patrick Bamford is the only other player of ours in the top 50 best of the uh, EFL, who is 21st. Brentford, West Brom and Fulham each have two players in the top 10. And this is the most disgraceful thing. Fucking Wayne fucking Rooney, 7th. 7th best player in the EFL. How many games has he actually played this season for Derby? This is just essentially a poll of can you name a championship player though, isn't it? So Wayne Rooney gets in because people will go, oh, I don't, I don't know. I've heard of Wayne Rooney. We'll go for him. And the same for Mitrovic because he was a big, a big signing. He was a Premier League player. So people have gone. Nine games. I've just looked it up. Nine games. Stuart Dallas should be higher in this list. He's not even on it. Given this, exactly. He should be like I would rather have him than Wayne Rooney. By in any in any team mode, you would have Stuart Dallas over Wayne Rooney. You'd have Luke Ayling. You'd have uh, there's no Jackie Harrison here. I mean, Elon Mesley, if, if we're going to let people in who've only played a couple of games, put him in it. He's got a better voice than Rooney's, hasn't he? And speaking of um, Stuart Dallas, we have a nomination for Marcelo Bielsa. Ross got in touch on the WhatsApp number. Wants to nominate Marcelo Bielsa as a villain because in his current football manager save, he has placed Stuart Dallas on the transfer list in January and he's only asking for a mere £9 million for Stu. Uh, Ross says, what's all that about? Given we managed to get Leeds promoted, I think we can accept that football manager is, is a sham. And at least it's only virtual Marcelo and not the real one, because he would never do such a thing. I thought it was it could have been worse. I mean, I'm sure I've played a game on it before where he's ended up as scum manager on it. So, but I've forgiven him because I know that I know that it's the game is unable to account for the man's superior morality. How much do you reckon real life Stuart Dallas is worth these days? What do you reckon we get from him if you were to sell him to say a Premier League club? Thirty-eight million pounds. He is uh, Viduka to Milan money. I don't know. It depends who, who wants to buy him, doesn't it? I think we we could conceivably get eight or nine million from him, I'd say. Or equally, we could do get a Pontus to Brentford money and sell him for about three. Do we have any other candidates then for villainy or is that our uh, our shortlist for this time? Uh, you, for not sitting through the full 24 hours as we're talking about football manager. Part-time managers, they're going on the list. Well, somebody had to be sober for the run-in and that person was me. I was. I did it. I was, no, I was didn't. still clicking away. Doing all right. Nobody had to be sober. You certainly were. very true. You certainly weren't. <laughs> Christ. Well, you're not having me as uh, as your villain, so you could pick somebody else. Is it? Um, give it to four four two. I was going to say, although we're not allowed to to give Ken Bates the London Ken Bates the award, can we give Wyoming Ken Bates the award for this massive hissy fit? Yeah, I suppose we can actually. I yeah. mean, there's bigger things going on in the world than 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 this. You know, I, I don't know the connection where he says he's been wanting to. Um, send a Facebook video about my feelings regarding COVID-19. But instead, I'm going to moan on about some Leeds fans having fun on my Facebook page. That's that's villain worthy, isn't it? 
I mean, the previous week he was basically saying to people, just go out and do whatever you want. So maybe it's for the best his Facebook page has gone. They'd probably get better advice from our Facebook page. Oh, God, we don't want the citizens of Casper on there ruining it for us. It won't be funny, then. But yeah, I'm happy to give it to Ken. Yeah, he's your villain, then. We'll take the opportunity, then, because we're not allowed to give it to real Ken Bates, so we'll give it to another Ken Bates. Although the um, the third Ken Bates that we found never is an absolute stand-up guy. We'll give it to him in a future week when the bodies are discovered. Right, let's move on to the hero, then. The Andy Hughes Hero Award. Your nominations, please. Leeds United Football Club. I think we did this last week, but they do keep being quite good at this whole uh, coronavirus thing, especially after, compared to Wyoming Ken's attempts. I liked last week that they'd, uh, they said they'd, they'd sent a, a document to all the players about how to protect themselves from catching the coronavirus with all the advice on kind of from washing your hands all the time, limiting contacts, how to, um, I think the stuff about how to handle food and what you should eat to try and keep your immune system at the best. And they um, they put it up on the website and said, it seems like a lot of the information in this would be useful for the the public at large. So we're going to share it with the fans. And it's a, it's a two-page PDF with lots of bright pictures to make sure that Alioski can follow it and some simple information and and good tips and pra- of practical worth. And you just like, that's just a, like quite a small, low-key, sensible bit of help that football clubs that are supposed to be part of a community it was a good thing to do the stuff that's come out from the phil hay interview with rob price as well about how we were really really ahead of it with the getting the exercise equipment bought in for them and getting all the plans put together and stuff like it's just the sort of thing that wouldn't have happened a few years ago so well done for uh, despite some of his previous crimes that we've discussed rob price has done well there it just tells a tale of a club who are actually doing the right thing and being able to actually go to a chairman and say, can I spend probably like 50 grand on exercise equipment now because we're going to need it soon? And him going, yes, that seems like a good idea. Just a refresh. You chair. imagine that um, like under Cellino, he would have bought a job lot of uh, tractor tyres and sent them off running home with them tied to their uh, waists, <laughs> wouldn't you, or something like that? Or it'd be the, like the cheapest click and collect exercise bike from Argos that they're all getting, the, like the, the Roger Black 50 quid sit in the corner of the bedroom with a pair of jeans hung on it type exercise bike. Whereas I imagine the stuff they've got now is, is fairly premium. Chilino was, um, was back on it last week. He's continuing to be hysterical about um, uh, everything, saying that if, this, if the Serie A season is not voided, um, he's going to forfeit all Brescia's games so they will ref- just refuse to play them all. Uh, for me to go back to business, it's pure madness. If they force us to play, I'll be willing to not field the team and lose the matches 3-0 out of respect for the citizens of Brescia and their loved ones who are no longer there. He's not keeping the cool, calm head that um, that are perhaps required in this times when he says that uh, his problems is um, extending the season. We need to change all the national and international rules, players, contracts, balances, deadlines with the banks, the transfer market preparation, start of the new season. It sounds like a lot of what we used to hear from him at Leeds, where it's owning a football club and running it properly is just too much trouble. Oh, we have to do all it sounds this. Like you'd have to, it sounds like you'd have to do a full day's work to get all that stuff sorted out, whereas we hear that his afternoons tended to be a bit more relaxed. And he did say uh, his closing line was, uh, it will be absolute chaos. And for what? Which I kind of wish he'd said before he bought Leeds United. Uh, you know what? This is going to be absolute chaos. For what? No, I don't, I don't buy. Well, thankfully, things are a lot more sensible these days. Um, and a lot of good things have happened in recent weeks, particularly around coronavirus. And as an extension of that, we need to give a massive nod to Calvin Phillips and the club as well for being the public face 
of the tributes to Kevin and Chris and the 20th anniversary of their passing because we can't go through a podcast don't you? we dick about a lot on this and do silly voices but we have to mention it and pass on our thoughts as well to both families who've obviously going to have had a very difficult weekend it's been a tough one as this year because it feels like it's the sort of thing that every year it's always obviously commemorated and it's it's the sort of thing that is best done as a group and as a fan base all together so to do it all split up in different places is obviously very difficult and I think the club probably did as much as they could do this year to to make the best of it. Yeah, without um, a game at which to mark uh, mark the anniversary, it it was quite a a weird one. But seeing those um, those photos photos of Calvin at the plaque, a quite a simple gesture as well. They didn't go over the top with anything. It was just a little um, example of the right thing being done and making sure that everybody needed to know that that was happening knew about it, which. Um, has always been kind of a, a marker of how the 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 anniversaries up to now have always been dealt with at, at Leeds. Have just it does it's never gone beyond the city in a in a in any unnecessary way. It, it happens in Leeds and it gets done right. And even though it was much harder to do anything this year, I think the right thing was done there. So good job on the club and good job on Calvin Phillips going down there as well. And Leeds fans as a whole capped off for donating to the food bank with such generosity throughout our live stream of the uh, of the football manager game across the weekend. So thank you for that. It's absolutely blown our minds. We're so humbled that people care enough to uh, to keep digging deep, especially as a lot of people are you know surrounded by uncertainty themselves or or hardship. But ponying up a few quid, it's made such a difference. And if everybody does it, then we look after everybody else, don't we? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what we. Uh... Well, we didn't have any expectations in terms of fundraising. We thought we'll just um, we'll press uh, go live, as I managed to do when we spent 10 minutes because Michael couldn't work out how to make the bloody thing actually work, and then just see what happened um, and what we came up with 24 hours later. And I think uh, it's not that we underestimate the, the generosity of, of Leeds fans, but things like with the, the centenary shirt was just took off in ways that we didn't imagine and raised an incredible amount of money for the hospital. And then this as well, just an absolutely mad amount of money and and worth the uh, temporary damage to mine and Michael's health. Obviously, you had a good night's sleep, Dan, but um, oh, those of us those of us who actually put some effort into uh, into this thing. Um, <laughs> we were very much Bielsa to your Warnock in this whole thing, weren't we? Dedicated, putting put the hours in. You were pretty much in Cornwall throughout. Given that people were recommending on the messages that were coming in, suggesting I have a coronavirus test because I was coughing so much, I don't. Th- My mum did message me to say she thought you were going to die. You do have to um, give you a wee bit of, of um, leeway to go get some rest because I have been coughing quite a lot across does, the last uh, does, couple of days. Does your mum not think you should get a test then? Just no, no point. She's pre- she was concerned, she's, and they were. I was. I was very much paraphrasing. Quite a grim outlook. Um, she was quite concerned. a grim outlook from old Mama Normanton there. Took one look at him and thought, <laughs> "No, not going to make it." This didn't one. even hear me coughing. Right, let's move on to the next nominations for hero. Uh, Luke Ayling for his little video, which I mean, I'm, I'm nominating him as a hero. I also think possibly this is going to be something that opposition players are going to try and show to the referee before games now, which is a bit concerning. But he was teaching his young daughter to do the ailing flop. He gave her a little a little nudge from behind in the garden and down she went. You like kicking children, don't you, Michael? Uh, well, it's generally accidental. They go down, they do go down easily, though. I think it's probably a decent a decent test for it is, if, is for Luke Ailing. He thinks if it would knock a five-year-old down, then it'll knock him down as well. I always thought part of your, um, your strategy with having twins was you just pit them against each other and then you don't have to get involved. I am very grateful through this period that they have got a mate, to be honest, because I, I do feel... 
for the, the only children in the world who are just locked up with parents now. I'd like to give a nomination to Mark Viduca as well for the stuff that we were talking about earlier, for thinking Harry Kuehl's a dick and for turning down Manchester United and just being an all-round good footballer who brought me a lot of pleasure across the years. Did he bring you a lot of pleasure in the away at Bolton in 2000 and 2004? <laughs> was that a pleasurable moment? We've all. I was going to mention his no. red cards in the relegation season, but... Uh, we have all made mistakes in our lives <laughs> and I do not judge him on one short spell of bad behaviour. And it's not like 16 years later we're still... Enduring the repercussions. I mean, let's face it, though, we didn't go down because he got sent off. No, that's true. He did also, uh, he had some problems with Peter Reid as well. He was saying that Peter Reid was never honest with him at the start of that season. And uh, and if I remember rightly as well, his, um, his dad was very sick in Australia at the start of the year. So he kept back and forth. He'd, like, he'd go away for a while, look after him, he'd come back, get sent off, go away again. It was all quite difficult. But he was a very, very good player. And um, very, very good at hating Harry Kewell. Who is your hero then from this last week? Leeds fans. Yeah. With a, Leeds, with a slight. Leeds fans, yeah. what have slight, donated to this food bank? Yeah, and a slight nod at the football club as well of like, you know, that kind of nod across the room where you're like, yeah, you're cool. Leeds fans are actually getting the award, but we're, we're looking at the club and going, yeah, you're, you're all right. It has been a good week for the club and lots to be pleased about in the face of some difficult circumstances. Well, that just about wraps up this show, I think, doesn't it? We've got the uh, the extra ball coming this week as we continue our journey in the League One promotion year. We've got the Championship Manager show as well. God, that's taken such an exciting twist towards the end of the season. We were second in the league behind Manchester United and we face them in the most recent episode, uh, episode 56. So it's, it's a thriller minute. We'll have another episode later on this week we have also received some cup final songs as well because we've hit the FA Cup final so we'll be playing those out in the next week or two watch out for the Phil Hayes show towards the back end of this week and we'd love to hear from you on any of our podcasts the squareball.net forward slash whatsapp leave us a voice memo and then head to our website if you fancy picking up magazines subscriptions merchandise at the squareball.net so that's it for this one are we planning to do any 24 hour live streams across the weekend probably not no but we'll we will get back to you with a, a proper date for when we finish off the season and then potentially we've got to have one crack at the premier league haven't we surely <laughs> But we'll do it in manable, more manageable chunks. This was my one. point on Sunday morning. I knew you'd come back my, my way of thinking. Yeah, but you'd have been... By then, though, if we got promoted, you'd be like, let's just have a few games. A few games yeah, in the get, Premier League. Get see through the get summer on. transfer window, see how it goes. Play a couple of games, see what the new team's like. I've got some drain cleaner here under the sink. That's got alcohol in it. I'll drink that now. It weren't far off that as well. Right then, let's, uh, let's wrap this one up then. We'll speak to you later on in the week. See you in a bit. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. The Square Ball Podcast. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.